Well, good morning. Welcome. My name is Alex. My wife Josie and I are small group leaders here, and it's, it's just so great to see all of you and worship together this morning. If you are new, I especially just want to say welcome again. We're so glad that you're here. We'd love to get to know you, love to help you get plugged into the community here. Like Brandon mentioned, he's been meeting with Andy and myself over the last couple of months as part of a preaching cohort. Uh, it's definitely challenged me, but it's also been a great opportunity to sit down and study a passage of the Bible together and craft an outline and learn on how to preach about it. So Andy preached back in November, and today is my turn. With that, I'm, uh, I'm also just really excited to get back in our, our series of the Gospel of John. So if you've been gone, if you're visiting, or if you just need a refresher, let me catch you up. So like the other three Gospels, the Gospel of John is a documentary that tells a story of, the, of Jesus' life and ministry. But John's documentary is very different than the other three. He totally ignores all kinds of things that the other three focus on. And he gives a bunch of never-before-seen never, never footage of Jesus' life and his ministry. And the reasons for these differences has a lot to do with the timing and the audience of this book. John was actually written 20 to 30 years after the other three to an audience that was quite familiar with the other three Gospels. And they were familiar with all the, all the Jesus stories, and maybe too familiar. So what he's trying to do throughout this book is, is to wake people up from this this complacent familiarity that was blinding them to the, to the captivating, spectacular, eternity-altering reality of Jesus. So that a head-level familiarity with him might increasingly become a heart-level belief that transforms people's lives both now and forever. And one of the ways John tries to do that is by recounting some of the miracles that Jesus did, which he specifically calls signs. Because Jesus' miracles, they, they weren't just displays of power, yet like billboards on a highway, they were, they were signs meant to point to something beyond themselves, each revealing something important of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So last week in John 8, we saw Jesus claiming to be the light of the world. And this week in chapter 9, we see what happens when we encounter the light of the world. And what I want to show you as we study another one of Jesus' miraculous signs is that as the light of the world, Jesus exposes the reality of our blindness so that we can truly see him. Jesus came into the world so we wouldn't just have a head-level knowledge of God, but so that we would see Jesus for who he truly is and experience new life in him. Because the reality is we need a healer to shine in our darkness and show us the truth. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. So with that, let's... Let's pray and, and dive into the passage together. So, man, God, we just, we just thank you for you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this place and this community. And as we study this passage, God, help us, to, help us come to you with open hearts. Help us to remember our need for a Savior. God, honestly, I just, I just need you this morning, too, and just pray that you would speak through me, God, fill, fill the Holy Spirit in this room. I just pray that we would see the good news that you have for us this morning and we would reorganize our lives to experience life in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
All right, so John 9, starting right away in, in uh, verse 1 there. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them. Wash in the, he told him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and he washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Is this the man who used to sit and beg? Some of them claimed he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed. And then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been, born, that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That, that was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his, become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him, 
In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. All right, so a lot of verses there. If you have a a Bible handy or a device, feel free to keep it open as we study the passage together. So again, last week, we saw Jesus claiming to be the light of the world. And in our passage today, we see what happens when we encounter the light of the world. And the first thing we see is, when we encounter the light, it exposes the reality of our blindness. Without light, there is no knowledge of sight. Right? If you think about it, you're in a pitch black room. You don't know if you can see or not until light shines in and the state of your visibility is known. This is what it means to be the light of the world. Jesus' light is shining to expose the reality of a dark world. And what we see in the beginning verses of our passage is many types of blindness around Jesus. The most obvious being the physical blindness of this man that he heals. But what we also see is the disciples showcasing their own version of blindness in verse 2. They have this misguided assumption that suffering and sickness has this one-to-one correlation with their sin. And while it's true that our actions do have consequences and God does graciously discipline those that he loves, Jesus, along with the rest of the New Testament writers, make it clear that suffering is not an indicator of, of someone's sin or evidence of God's punishment. And like we see in the passage today, God often allows difficult things in our lives so that through him, we might get the joy of seeing and experiencing him better. So that's two types of blindness that that we see around Jesus, but there's actually another. Jesus is really, really clever on how he heals this man because in doing so, he intentionally exposes the spiritual blindness of another group of people, the Pharisees. Unlike the disciples, the Pharisees' blindness, it's not characterized by a misunderstanding of what Jesus came to do. Their blindness is rooted in a rejection of who Jesus is. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of this community, and they're very educated in the law. And and Jesus knew that they would be consulted for insight when word got out that this sign had been performed. And because the Pharisees are so familiar with the law, Jesus knew that they would be challenged on the fact that this sign was performed on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a time of rest where there should be no work. And to the Pharisees, Jesus must be a sinner and separate from God because he performed this sign on the Sabbath. To the Pharisees, Jesus is the problem. But Jesus is trying to help them see that their sin has blinded them and they aren't seeing the truth about him. At the heart of spiritual blindness is an inability to see Jesus for who he truly is. This sign of healing the blind man, it's the setup for what Jesus is ultimately trying to demonstrate. He's exposing the truth of the real problem. The Pharisees' rejection of Jesus' identity is the real problem. We see types of blindness all around Jesus in these early verses, but this type of blindness that the Pharisees exhibit, it's the main blindness that Jesus is addressing in the whole passage. Jesus spent the first half of John trying to illuminate this spiritual blindness of the Pharisees and help them see, and he initiates the Pharisees again in our text today. And that leads us to the second part of the passage, 
When the light of the world shines and exposes blindness, it forces a response. If we remember back to John 1, we learn there are only two responses to Jesus' light. John 1, 9 through 12 reads, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What John, what John is teaching here is you either reject Jesus' light or you receive it. There's no other option. Our passage today does a great job at showcasing some examples of these two different responses to Jesus' light. First, the Pharisees. They completely reject Jesus. Jesus has spent the whole first half of the book trying to illuminate their spiritual blindness, but their response is consistently characterized by pride. It's obvious that they can't stand being corrected. They have to be right. When it comes to the details of this sign, they follow up with the healed man. They follow, they follow up with the crowds. They follow up with the healed man's parents. Then they go back to the healed man again. And when all of these accounts point towards Jesus being the healer, the Pharisees, they just can't accept that. In their minds, it's not possible that this man was healed and that he was even previously blind to begin with. They see Jesus as a sinner. The Pharisees have multiple chances to swallow their pride, but instead they bark insults at this man and they throw him out of the temple. What we ultimately see in the Pharisees' response is they already made up their mind on who Jesus is. They're prideful because they don't think they are in need of healing. They think they can see just fine. The light of, the light of Jesus has exposed their spiritual blindness. And instead of recognizing their sin and receiving the light, they reject the light and remain in their darkness. Another response to the light that we see in this passage is the parents of the blind man. The light has shone in on the life of their son. They know the reality of his blindness from birth. They had to have known the magnitude of power that was required to heal their son. And what we see in the parents' response is they try not to respond by removing themselves from the situation but there are only two ways to respond to the light. You can reject it or receive it. Ignoring or not responding to the light is actually rejecting the light. And the reason for the parents' rejection is revealed in verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. One commentary notes that being excommunicated from synagogue worship was an extremely serious penalty in this fiercely religious culture. It meant a far-fetching reduction of social as well as religious life. So getting thrown out of the synagogue in this community is basically like getting cut off by your church and your friends and your family and community all at the same time. It's like the first century version of being canceled. And at the, at the root of the parents' rejection is a fear of man and a fear of losing social status that is greater than their fear of God. So in contrast to the religious leaders and the parents, we see the formerly blind man receiving the light. His response to Jesus is different. His response is characterized by courage, not fear. You can imagine his previous confidence level. Being born blind, he was likely talked about in a similar way that the disciples talk about him in those early verses. 
His confidence was likely a weakness of his most of his life. But after his encounter with Jesus, his confidence and identity, it's apparent. This, this new confidence and identity that he's found. In verse 31 through 33, he stands up for Jesus in the face of these spiritual leaders. And his confidence and courage continues to progress as we read because his clarity of who Jesus is is also progressing. It starts in verse 11. He, he references Jesus as the man they call Jesus. Then his clarity of Jesus continues to progress and he calls him prophet in verse 17. And then in verse 33, he calls Jesus a man from God. His confidence is persuasive because it is totally rooted in Jesus. It's not rooted in his own resume but who Jesus has proved himself to be to him. Jesus takes the credit in his testimony. And unlike the parents, his previous fears, they just disappear in the presence of Jesus. Losing his social status was nothing to him. This man was ready to pay the price that his parents were so afraid of. Something has changed in this man's heart to be willing to leave that behind him. So let's imagine this scene for the man when Jesus first approaches he likely, he likely hears chatter that Jesus is nearby and, and just whispers of, of his presence. And then, then he hears footsteps of Jesus approaching him. And, and the next thing he hears is <laughs> this wick, mixing of mud, right? <laughs> and you've got to imagine the man at this point, he's like, well, that was a plot twist, Jesus. <laughs> and good for him on not rejecting the light right here. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, the reason he stays in that moment with Jesus is because he recognizes his need for healing. He realizes his brokenness and surrenders to whatever Jesus' agenda is in that moment. What we see with this man is, unlike the Pharisees, he also isn't prideful to know all the reasoning. He's upfront with his lack of knowledge. He doesn't know all the ways that Jesus works, but he doesn't shy away from talking about the impact Jesus has had in his own life. The man says in verse 25, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Isn't this so encouraging to use this man as an example when we think about discipleship? It's so easy to shy away sometimes from discipleship because we think we don't know enough, right? We feel, we feel unqualified. The, the reality is we'll never have all the knowledge. This isn't a requirement of discipleship. Jesus just asks us to share the impact he's had in our, our lives with others, just like this man did. You see, when we share with others how Jesus has initiated and empowered us, it allows those around us to recognize how Jesus is initiating them. This is actually one of the big reasons why I said yes to preaching. I remember when, when Brandon first invited me, there was just this sense of fear that surrounded that thought. And, but I also just felt Jesus initiating me to say yes. And around this time, uh, Dawson, one of our small group leaders, he shared in front of church. He talked about how excited he was to lead a new small group. He also talked about his faith progression and like some fear and inadequacy that was inside of him when he, he initially joined a small group a few years prior. And then these feelings kind of resurfaced when he was asked to lead a small group. But God continued to meet him in his obedience and when Dawson responded in courage to plug into a church community and ultimately help lead that church community, God produced so much fruit there. And life was found there. And that was, I remember just being so encouraged by Dawson's testimony. This is what I needed to hear to address my fear and say yes to Jesus' initiative in me. 
So when we share how receiving the light has been good news to us, it causes those around us to take another look at the light. This idea of discipleship that the formerly blind man is, is showing and the courage and humility that he has and recognition that he needs healing, they're all indicators that he's received light. But I, what I also want to show you is the magnitude of the true gift that Jesus gives this man because he's received the light. Let's put ourselves in this man's shoes again. Imagine being physically blind from birth, not knowing the appearance of your family members, your peers, or even yourself. Never seeing beautiful things in nature, like a sunset, a rainbow, or a mountain range. You know this man? He, he likely never saw Aaron Judge hit a home run for the New York Yankees. <laughs> That's tough to miss out on. <laughs> Sorry, that was a late ad. <laughs> But the point is, growing up, he was likely continuously dreaming, if only I had sight, how, eyesight, how much better life would be. And now he happens to meet Jesus face to face. And his eyesight is healed. Can you imagine how wonderful that must have been to, to match the sounds of his peers' voices to their face? Can you imagine how, how long he stared at the blue sky for the first time, right? Like it's just, just stuff like that that we take, adva- take advantage of and we just don't really recognize. What a gracious gift Jesus has given this man. A gift he was likely longing for his entire life. And what's so beautiful about what John captures in chapter 9 is that there's an even greater gift that Jesus has for this man. If all the new sights were most appealing to him, he would have pocketed his new eyesight and taken the safe road, just like his parents did. After all, this is what we saw the paralytic man do back in John 5. This man was paralyzed for nearly 40 years. Jesus healed this man to walk, just like he heals the the man's blindness in our passage today. But what we saw with the paralytic man is, after Jesus performs this sign of healing, he walks the other way. He, He basically says... You know, Jesus, thanks for these new legs, but I'm out. He completely missed the real gift Jesus was offering him. But in John 9, there's a different ending to the formerly blind man's story. Instead of being caught up in all the new scenery around him, he's captivated by Jesus. This guy just had his eyes opened. He has this whole new world to explore. But the thing his new eyes are fixed on is Jesus this man has received the light of the world. He's been given true spiritual eyesight and he sees Jesus for who he truly is. This man is living life on a whole new level. And it's not because of the physical eyesight that he now has, which he's likely been longing for his entire life. It's due to the spiritual eyesight he now has in Jesus. You see, even though this man has been neglected by the people who are most familiar to him, He's experiencing life on a whole new level because of his progressing familiarity in Jesus. This is the magnitude of the gift Jesus has given him. And what we see as a result of this man receiving the light is a climax at the end of our text. This man is thrown out of the temple and Jesus finds him. The man now physically sees Jesus for the first time and he doesn't even know it yet. In their first encounter, he never saw Jesus' physical appearance. Jesus just sent him to travel to the pool of Siloam to wash, and there he found physical sight and was healed. But that was physically apart from Jesus. And now Jesus finds him again. 
And the conversation picks up in verse 35. Jesus asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. When the light shines and we respond by receiving the light, the end result is worshiping Jesus for who he really is. This man started by referencing Jesus as the man they call Jesus. And now the end of this man's progression, he sees Jesus as Lord. When that becomes clear to him and the magnitude of that sinks in, he falls to his knees and worships. See, Jesus gives this man physical sight for the first time in his life. That's amazing power on display. But the real miracle is the spiritual sight Jesus has given this man. And the progression of this, this healed man is a great example of what it looks like to receive the light of Jesus. Don't be confused, though. The real hero of this story and the real hero of all the stories that we've, we've talked about in John is Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the initiative he takes and the goodness that is found in him. Jesus originally seeks this man out and heals him. Did you notice that the man never actually asked for healing in those, original ver- in those early verses? But Jesus initiates him, and he initiates him again after he's thrown out of the temple. Jesus always takes the initiative. Yeah, and as, as I've been studying these verses the last few weeks, it's, it's just been such an encouragement for me to be reminded that Jesus is always initiating with me. I'm grateful that Jesus seeking me out is the reality of the gospel. And he's the one who keeps following up with me. Even when there's brokenness inside of me that I don't even need, know I need healing for, he initiates. Without this, I'm just as spiritually blind as I was from birth. It's also encouragement for me that he's pursuing those around me. I think about my family. I think about my friends. I think about my coworkers. I think about my two and three year old daughters. Think about all these people that I just want so badly to have spiritual sight. And the fact that he's initiating them too is such good news. I've been filled with this dependence on Jesus. It's because it's only his initiative that saves. Man, And what's so cool about this passage is this initiative that he takes with the blind man, it doesn't only include the blind man, that he's actually initiating in multiple directions. Did you notice how he performed the sign? We talked a little bit about the awkwardness of the mud. And it's important to ask ourselves the meaning behind the signs in John. We already talked about the clever ways that Jesus used the Sabbath to challenge the Pharisees' inability to see who Jesus truly is. But why did Jesus do this thing of spitting in the mud, right, and and rubbing the man's eyes? What Jesus is doing is he's pointing back to Genesis. In the beginning, God used dirt to create Adam. 
What Jesus is doing here is he's showing the Pharisees that he's not only been sent by God, Jesus is initiating the Pharisees to show them that he is the creator. He is God himself. He who created man from dust now uses dust to restore him. The demonstration of this sign is to reveal that God himself has come into the world. He's in the flesh, living alongside the crowds. Jesus' initiative with the blind man led him to seeing Jesus as Lord. And what we see in Jesus' initiative with the Pharisees is he's trying to help them see the same thing. This is the truth of the gospel. Jesus has come as light of the world so that people would see him as Lord. Just like we saw in the passage, when we encounter the light of the world, Jesus' true identity and our need for him is exposed. We are given a chance to respond to the light in one of two ways. We can reject it or receive it. Rejecting the light leads to a response that is characterized by pride and fear and and a blindness that you're self-sufficient without Jesus. At the heart of all sin is a rejection of God. Because Jesus is Lord himself, rejecting his light is choosing sin. In contrast, receiving the light, it leads to a response that is characterized by courage, humility, and a realization that you're in need of healing. Life is experienced on a whole new level when we receive the light, just like what we saw with this healed man. And the end result is a worship in Jesus and a new life in him. One commentator summarizes it this way. What's ironic about John 9 is the empty man is filled, but the men who claim they need no doctor are left in their darkness. The story is thus about open hearts and closed hearts. And this is what Jesus is saying in verse 41. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So breaking that down, what Jesus is saying here, that first part of verse 41, if you were blind, so in other words, if you recognize your blindness and dependence on Jesus' light and you receive it, your sins are covered through him. Versus that second part of verse 41, now that you claim you see, in other words, now that you're saying you've got it all figured out on your own and you're not in need of a savior, your sins remain What Jesus is showing us is that apart from him, there is no light. And as we think about how we fit into the truth of this passage, the reality is we all are like the formerly blind man. Not because the courage we always embody, not because we always turn to Jesus 100% of the time. We are all like this man because we are all born blind. We are in need of a healer to give us a heart that sees our blindness We are in need of a savior to rescue us from our darkness. This is exactly what Jesus, the light of the world, has come to do. This is what we remember every year at Christmas. This is what we remember every week when we take communion. Communion is a time for us to remember God rescuing us from our sin by sending his son. And when we weren't looking for him, when we were stuck in our spiritual blindness, Jesus came. He allowed his body and blood to be broken and shed for us so that you and I might have real sight, that we might see him for who he really is. Communion doesn't make you right with God. It does not save you. 
Instead, communion is a chance for us to remember who he really is and all that he's done for us. So this morning, there's an invitation. If you see Jesus, if he's the light of the world to you, then go back during our time of worship. There's two tables in the back of the room. Take the bread and dip it in the juice as a joyful reminder of the initiative that Jesus has taken you. As you were in darkness, he came shining in the light, not to blind you, but to save you. But if you're here today and you're still figuring out what it means to receive the light, maybe it's like you're in this dark room and somebody just flicked the lights on and in your eyes they just need time to adjust, right? That's okay. That's uncomfortable. We're so glad you're here. Hold off on taking communion. God is not after religious rituals or head-level knowledge about him. He's after your heart. So communion might not be right for you this morning, but this place is, and Jesus is. And he's offering himself to you, so keep pressing in to what he's revealing. Ask him to give you sight. He wants to do that for you. As we sing and worship God by remembering the gospel and song, talk to God and ask yourself, do I truly see or do I not? This is the intended response for the original audience and for us. And what John makes abundantly clear is the way you know if you can truly see or not is if you worship Jesus. Some of you are like the Pharisees. You think you see. You see the truth about the world. You see the truth about God. You see the truth about yourself. But what Jesus is saying is, is unless you worship him, you don't see. He is the light of the world. If you don't worship Jesus, you don't see. Head-level knowledge isn't enough. Pharisees, they had books of the Bible memorized. This leaves you thinking that you can see, but it really leaves you blind. If you've just been doing religion your whole life and you're just stuck in this religiosity, you're going through the motions to check the Jesus box every week. This gets you nowhere. Unless you see Jesus for who he is and worship him. The good news for you is Jesus is a continuous initiator. You've seen him initiate and give the Pharisees multiple chances in John's gospel. So talk with God and ask him to give you a heart that, that has changed and that, so that you would recognize your need for Jesus. It's so easy to respond by looking at Jesus from, from afar and trying really hard on your own to fix your own problems. right? Maybe you, maybe you read a book about God or maybe you go to church every Sunday or you join a small group. right? Those are all really good things. But the root of your emptiness is a lack of spiritual sight. If you ask God for spiritual sight, your understanding of who Jesus is and your need for him will become more clear. And just like we see in the passage, a genuine worship will be a natural response from that. Some of you are here and you're like the parents. What's keeping you from receiving sight is, is a fear of man or a fear of being uncomfortable. But because Jesus is who he says he is, that means a reorganization of your life. And it might be costly, just like it, was, or just like it would have been for the parents and just like it was for the formerly blind man. For some of you, there's a fear of getting rejected by your peers. And that's keeping you from worshiping Jesus. Ask Jesus to show you the truths of who he is and what he came to do. So that these fears of yours, they would just shrink in comparison to the life that Jesus is offering you.
Others of you are here and you're like this man. By God's grace, he took the initiative with you and you received it. You see Jesus as the Son of Man, the light of the world, the Creator, and you worship him. That is so great. But that's not the end. See, the reality is, as, as we get older, our physical eyesight gets worse and worse and, and kind of decays over time. But Jesus means for our spiritual eyesight to only get stronger and stronger in him. The whole Christian life consists of getting to know Jesus better and better. The way your spiritual sight gets better is if you keep asking him to rub mud on your eyes. Right? It, the way for you to continue to grow is in Jesus, is to keep worshiping him. Yeah, and I was, as I was studying the passage the last couple weeks, Jesus has revealed to me that I need to keep seeing him better. Jesus is my Savior, he's my Lord, but my prayer life sometimes reveals that I give myself this false sense of self-sufficiency. At times I'm blind to my need for his daily wisdom and grace. I tell myself I got my current situation under control, all on my own, when I come back to him, I'm reminded of my dependence on him and my blindness without him. And it causes me to worship Jesus as the healer that I so desperately need. And the last thing I want to show you and what John is also trying to teach us is part of worshiping Jesus is telling others about him and all that he's done in your life. Your response to receiving the light should include discipleship, just like it did for this healed man. Share with others what Jesus has done in your life. In our passage, Jesus, the one sent into the world by God, sends this man to the pool of Siloam, which actually translates to the pool of scent. He is sending this formerly blind man to tell others of what's been done. And Jesus also sends us. You see, Jesus doesn't just want us to have spiritual eyesight or spiritual sight. He wants to shine light through us so that others might see he shines light into our lives, not only so that we receive it, but so that we spread it. The tr this is the truth the, that the, of how Jesus most often initiates, right? It's through people. As you think about your faith journey, likely through other people that helped you see Jesus. So as you think about your interactions with others, and ask God to give you courage to be characterized by someone who, who tells that about what Jesus has done in you. Not because you have all the answers, but to invite those around you to take another look at the one who does. To give them a chance to receive the light of Jesus with an open heart so that Jesus can give the greatest gift of all. This is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. You are the light of the world. Thank you for stepping down from your throne. We might be saved from our darkness. That you took the initiative with us. And despite our blindness and rebellion, you keep initiating. We thank you for that. Jesus, help us to keep seeing you better and better. I ask you to to expose the areas of our heart where we don't see. We ask that you would give us courage to share with others the good news that you've been in our lives so that us and those around us might experience fullness in you. We love you. Amen.